All right, so hello everybody. Welcome to another special episode of Lorebeards. It's so lovely to see you all here today. We've got the one and only Andy Hall back with us uh, to discuss the lore behind Total War Warhammer 3. Uh, there's a lot more information that's available this time. And it is uh, obviously super exciting stuff that we are just dying to get into. So we're not going to waste a ton of time. We're not going to waste, um, you know, too much effort. And obviously today we're just going to be focusing on lore discussion. So we're not going to be doing any of the typical seg segments like Tale of Two Gamers or any of that. So uh, real quick, uh, Mr. Hall, how are you doing? It's been a while. It has, but it's been, it's been a busy time, to be honest. <laughs> Um, but we're nearly there. It's less than a week to go, I believe. Yeah, less than a week. People are, I know every time I come on stream, uh, people are losing it. <laughs> they're just, they're barely hanging in there. Yeah, well, I can't wait for people to finally play it. It's been a um, passion project. It's the longest project I've ever worked on. Um, for three and a half years, this has been going. So finally, you know, that's longer than our most Hollywood blockbuster movies are in production. So to finally get it into people's hands with a, um, uh, in less than six days is it, it, great. And I can't wait for people to play it. Hopefully not too many people have spoiled themselves by watching all the streams by you guys and all the other guys. So hopefully people have held themselves back a little bit. So, so there's still some surprises <laughs> in the game. Ah, yeah, self-control, something uh, the internet's so well known for. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I I just feel bad for all the all the people on Valentine's Day who are going to have their partners thinking about <laughs> only three more days instead of being there. But, um, all right, so uh, if we're ready, um, Nathan, we got a whole bunch of questions uh, yeah. for our dear guest here, if you want to start us off. Yeah, uh, so... Last time you had a cafe and army book. Is there any chance you have something related to Kislev in the form of a book? Um, we had a trove of information um, given to us by Games Workshop. Hmm. Uh, it was less in a formal book setting uh, yeah. and more just a load of cool sketches by Mark Bedford and uh, a load of kind of um, information and documents uh, given to us by their development team uh, mm. when they generously said, you know, we'll f refresh Kislev for you and then gave us this trove of knowledge and, and then obviously it was up to us to adapt that into something cool uh, for Warhammer 3. Oh, cool. So safe to say there's a lot that we can talk about Kislev today, right? Yeah, 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 we can and... Um, yeah, because if there wasn't, uh, <laughs> that, that material wouldn't be in the game. So it's there. You can talk <laughs> cool. about all the material that's in the game, all the material that's alluded to in the game, certainly. Um, awesome. Well, we're definitely... Know, there's still stuff that's going to be held back uh, for our, um, you know, our DSC teams. They've got plenty of plans for, mm -hmm. for Kislev. Um, you know, uh, the, as I've said several times in different podcasts and interviews with media and stuff the journey is just starting for warhammer 3 it may be the final game in the trilogy but the journey is is just starting excellent so even more kislev in the future that's great to hear to come, definitely. Uh, though uh speaking of kislev there's one particular kislevite we were curious about 
Um, and we're so from a from kind of like a lore perspective, um, do we know if like for from Games Workshop or uh, maybe the the books you've had the chance to look at? So Yuri, the the prince, the Ungol prince who ends up becoming the God Slayer, is he like an actual canonical character? This kind of second undivided prince, um, or I guess because uh, he's you know he's kind of like a player insert character, and you can customize him to be what you want. Um, does he actually exist in the lore of the writing, or is he more just kind of an exclusive um, player insert for Total War Warhammer 3? Well, no, he's, I would say he's canon. You know, this, these things that, uh, that are happening in Warhammer 3 are, have been approved by Games Workshop, and, and so they're part of that IP. Um, has he? Does he exist in any other media at this point? Uh, no, no, he doesn't. Um, as and when... Games Workshop gets around to, to looking at, at Kislev, um, maybe. Although I think the Old World um, game that's coming from is set several hundred years uh, in the past, isn't it? Mm. So, so I don't think he's going to be mentioned there. Um, you never know. You never know. Um, I mean, he's he's certainly a player insert character for, for later on, and that was his intention. Um, but, you know, his journey... And what happens to him, um, you know, is part of the Warhammer law now. Okay, great. Man, I'm going to have to, like, get a group of people and we're going to have to take bets on if he does show up, what kind of Demon Prince he would be. <laughs> Which one they'd end up going with. <laughs> Nathan, got another question for us? Uh, yeah, so uh, how exactly did... Um, obviously, this might be a bit too specific, but how exactly did Bellacor capture Urson? Yeah, do we have any specifics on that story? Yeah. Well, so the reason we used Urson out of all the... There's many gods in the Warhammer world, mm. as you know. Um, and the reason I, I wanted to use Urson is because he is a, he takes the form as a, of an animal. And I thought it would be very powerful. And we knew we wanted to do something terrible to him. <laughs> um, <laughs> as you do. And in as you case, do. Um, we... Well, I was thinking of Aslan on the stone table in the line, the witch in the wardrobe. Um, so, so how 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 do you get players to emphasize empathize with a god? Um, well, if that god has eyes, ears, and a snout, uh, <laughs> uh, and and takes that anamorphic form, um, we thought we could get people to kind of emphasize empathize with him, and and that key moment. Uh, I don't know where we are for spoilers at the moment, uh, but that key moment at the end of the prologue um we wanted people to be almost emote and in fact um thanks to the fantastic script writing by like david lee uh and, and lawrence tully uh, uh cinematic artists it, it kind of really dug deep into that script to, to make sure um that was a moment um and uh i knew it had worked when i showed my wife um uh, that that movie and she's not a Warhammer fan by any means. Um, she calls it my toy soldiers. <laughs> she's been with me for a long time, so she's got used to it. <laughs> Showed her this movie, and uh, uh, when Yuri makes that decision, she went, oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> so I, I knew if, if if I could get an emotional reaction from my wife, I knew we'd, we'd probably hit something there. Um, so that was kind of why one of the reasons why Urson was chosen. 
Um, also, he's a Kislevian god, and we were doing Kislev, so uh, obviously there was a connection there. Um, but again, kind of circling it back to your original question, Nathan, um, we we thought if if Kislev is a god, then it makes sense. Uh, sorry, if Kis uh, if Urson was a bear, it makes sense that maybe you know he hibernates, uh, and that, that mm. was kind of. So if he hibernates, what hibernates? What happens to Kislev? Mm. Uh, maybe well, if he thinks it's winter, then it's and it's winter in Kislev, and obviously, Kislev is always kind of snowy and wintry and tundra esque, but it mm. probably gets really cold. But so then, what happens when Urson wakes? Maybe, maybe that's when the spring of Kislev happens. Right. Um, but if he sleeps, then maybe he's vulnerable. And maybe that's why Bellacor chose him, um, because how many other gods may have to hibernate? Probably just probably just Urson in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. So maybe uh, if Urson needed, if Bellacor needs god blood to break his curse, um, maybe he saw a weakness there, uh, and maybe that's why he chose Urson uh, as his kind of um, prey. Now. How he actually kind of fettered that god, I, that's certainly not we haven't covered. I, I think when we wrote, originally wrote the treatment, it was it was mainly the fact that if Urson hibernates, then he's vulnerable, and maybe that's something um, that Bellacor, using his machinations and his minions, could could use to catch, effectively capture him, mm. and 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 then bring him to the Forge of Souls, which he had. He'd kind of taken for his own because it's kind of neutral ground. One of the couple of neutral ground places in the realm of chaos yeah. that he could use. And I, I, again, I get the impression that maybe he came knocking on the Forger Souls door and uh, um, somehow subsumed and took it over before even the demons within the Forger Souls that operated the forges knew what was going on. Mm. So that's a very bellicore thing to do. That, that is what he specialises in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I actually, I actually really like. Basically. Yeah, I actually just, um, really like that. Um, man, I, I would love for us to hopefully get that as a short story one day, or at least of like, um, it makes I could see that of Bellacor, you know, doing his thing and finding out through his machinations where Urson is hibernating, which should have been a well-guarded secret, but maybe because of Zarboris being gone and what have you, the game, the game kind of alludes to that, that with Zarboris. Uh, being dead, Urson was not as well protected as he should have been. Exactly. exactly. I, 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 yeah. I, I think in uh, that my original timeline, I had the kind of the death of Boris was a catalyst for many things, including, like you just said, the, the making Urson slightly more vulnerable, and, and obviously that allowed um, Catherine to rise to the throne, which was important for us and stuff. I assume we'll probably get to that um, later. But yeah, with, with Boris's death uh, and, and and how intrinsically gods are linked to their followers in in the Warhammer world, um, that would certainly have weakened him and maybe put him into a deeper sleep than normal, or made certainly made him more vulnerable, uh, which would be an opportunity for Bellacor to kind of leap on. Mm, okay, yeah, awesome. Which. Uh, kind of speaking of grand events and how things tie together, uh, we do we do have a rather 
big question um and this may not have an answer uh we know this is that this was kind of one of those things that's sort of nebulous but warhammer 3 um does and we we won't necessarily spoil it for everyone here um it, you people will be seeing it of course if they're watching streams starting yesterday but at the yeah. end of warhammer 3 it's revealed that there is kind of an actual timeline um that warhammer 3 does take place during a specific moment between the three games so is there now an official timeline for what the order of Warhammer 1, 2, and 3 is? And if so, um, do we, can we, can we uh, ask what that order is? Like, especially where does Warhammer 2 take place? Because it's kind of, it definitely fits in, especially because Warhammer 2 has all those epilogues where you have Nakari whispering to the player um, in the epilogues where he's kind of messing with all the different legendary lords. Um, so can, can you reveal to us what that order may be if you had to give one? Okay, if I had to. If you had um, to. <laughs> it doesn't have to. No, this doesn't have to be 100% year. concrete, but. I don't want to give any years because it is all a bit fuzzy yeah. around there. Yeah, very okay. fuzzy. Mm -hmm. and, and that's kind of deliberately so. I mean, we don't want players to think too much about this. Hey, it's not a history game. You know, we'll leave that to, to the guys uh, doing Rome 2. All that, and, all that history uh, nonsense, ma'am. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> but um, so, so we want to keep it slightly fuzzy. Um, but I, I, I personally, I, I, I think the order of events is uh, the, the very first CGI trailer, the Warhammer One announcement trailer. We see uh, the advisor uh, is a white wizard and he becomes corrupted by the Tome of Fates. Right. Mm -hmm. And you may go, ah, oh, but that book looks different to the Tome of Fates in there. But again, I kind of covered that. There's a there's a law blurb in uh, in there that kind of explains that. As a Zenshin book, it will take different forms at different times, mm -hmm. um, and uh, and then from there, oh, I wish I had this in front of me. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I I think he he goes into the he's he's whisked away to do Zenshin things uh, for an unknown amount of time before returning to the Empire, um, and then. Uh, we see him at the Grand Observatory in, in those very first teasers um, for Warhammer 3. We then see him go. Uh, we then see him in the Warhammer 3 CGI trailer, uh, walking into the Zarina's tent. And I think from there he makes his way north. Uh, and then we see him at the start of Warhammer 3, um, finding out about Yuri. Uh, and then. Warhammer 3 happens, and 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 then you know if you follow that through, you'll know uh, what happens and why he looks younger than he probably does in Warhammer 1 and Warhammer 2. How those two interlock, um, I I think Warhammer 2 is slightly before Warhammer 1. Okay, great. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, speak. So this is actually just a random additional question, but do y'all have like? A, like a internal name or is there any kind of name for the advisor is he always just been the advisor does he kind of have like a cute does he have like a little name or something i played and giving him a name but we kind of like him as the advisor it, um, does, it does it's very mysterious <laughs> it's very enigmatic <laughs> you know revealing the name of the doctor in doctor who you, you kind of don't want to um mm. it, it kind of lessens that lessens that as a character and i think he's the advisor um so he's slightly you know he's a slight enigma um 
although obviously as we as the game's gone we've kind of started to reveal a bit more about him and uh, i think what i really enjoyed about warhammer 3 um is we we see him interact with the actual lords a bit more and we see how he approaches those lords uh, and um so with warhammer 1 you know we just kind of took it that he will approach Grimgore or someone and and Grimgore will listen to this weird old white man. Mm-hmm. Um, but with Warhammer 3, we kind of, as as you've seen in those intro movies, we, we thought we wanted to ha- show that interaction. How 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 would um how would the advisor approach Scarbrand? Or how would he approach Nakari even uh, and not just be utterly killed or wiped away as in the significance so he has his ways and means to do it oh and, and i, I... Think any approaches uh they and, and i did a little bit about it in oh, in the prince of alt altdorf novel uh, a while well, novel small story mm-hmm. a while back that there seems to be an aura about him uh that they should at least listen to him before before they kill him <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, and that, his chance to kind of whisper his secrets or convince them so i think the book empowers him slightly um and and maybe that's the influence of zinch on him to to give him enough of a leeway to to allow him to do to to get his sales patter out before before even scarbrand will just cut him down Sorry, uh, I overtalked you there. No, no, you're you're great. Uh, yeah, please overtalk me always. They they get enough of me. Nobody cares about me. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's awesome. I I love that, and I I just gotta say, y'all did an incredible job with the cinematics, especially at the starts of the campaigns. Those are, oh god, like I know this would be torture, but y'all y'all should do those for every legendary lord. <laughs> just can can y'all go back and just do everybody <laughs> that style. <laughs> It would be nice. <laughs> just uh, you know, just yeah. let us, let us pile a mountain on your back there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're expensive assets to create. Um, yeah. but also, you know, you've got to make sure you've got the talent in the in, in the studio to be able to do that. Uh, yeah. And we 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 have we have um, with our cinematics team uh, mm. by Lawrence and you know me him and, and uh, David who did loads loads of the actual day-to-day grind of creating those movies we get in get into um, what we used to call the fishbowl uh which is one of our meeting rooms uh in the studio in those crazy pre-pandemic days when you would just you know go to the studio um uh, and you know we'd spend hours in there just uh, knocking out script drafts and talking to each other and going what about this what about that what about this and but you know that that's how these creative um ideas get crafted uh, yeah a lot harder. um but yeah you know that that's just the writing the scripts but then then you need you need the artists as well and uh, one of our artists in the house artist ignacio who did loads of those drawings and we used loads of freelancers too um they just all knocked it out of the park it's, yeah it's an amazing feat and it's one of the things i'm most proud of uh in warhammer 3 even though you know my bit to be honest was just at the start um you know they're fantastic and they seem to have gone down really well and i'm really glad yeah and they're yeah they're, i think yeah. i can do in the mall <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, i'll just have to dream about it uh nathan carry us forwards 
Yeah, so we're going to yeah. circle back to Kislev because we have a lot right, of right. Kislev-like questions. Um, just a question. Why aren't the other Kislevites girl, uh, gods getting involved? Like, it's it's not a big pantheon and so on, but wouldn't they be a bit like the godhead's missing? Like, yes, they're involved with the prayer mechanics and so on, but you'd think they'd be a bit more active if Ursin's disappeared. You know what I mean? You would, wouldn't you? Yeah. Um, um, I, there's something that's coming out that may address that. Um, okay, I, cool. Okay. Right, right. That's, that um, makes me happy, at least. Right, cool. I thought like, they'd be forgotten, because there are some cool gods, you know, like Dars and Tor and so on. You know, they're in the game as, as, as invocations. You know, we haven't ignored mm. those guys. So, so something I'm just probably just going to throw out into the void here real quick is that for anyone listening, we're going to be focusing very heavily on lore today. So if there are moments where he says next question, we're just going to do next question. So that was kind of code for next question. <laughs> so we look forward to learning more about that. So Nathan, next question. <laughs> right. Uh, where are we here? Uh, well, we're going to have to skip the next one, aren't we? <laughs> Oh, I, I'll, I'll ask it, but I'll, I'll just rephrase it a little differently. So yeah. um, one thing that we uh, loved about the game is kind of the, the that um, new lore for Urson of that when he's hibernating, Kislev is kind of hibernating, dealing with winter. He wakes up and we see in the prologue cinematic, he literally roars the winter away. Um, but one thing that uh, we just wanted to ask about and we're just kind of curious about is that I think in the older lore... Um, that that was kind of traditionally Dawes's role as the god of the sun, that he would sort of, you know, bring around the the sun again um, from the Kislevites' perspective as they, they, you know, they got closer to the sun uh, in their natural orbit. And so for them, winter would end with Dawes being the one who kind of thawed it out. So that seems to be a small retcon, though I think it's a great retcon. Um, do we have any kind of info then? And like, if, if that is the case for Dawes, um, what... Uh, has his role changed? And if so, can you tell us a little bit more about like what it is he's bigger on now? What what he's kind of responsible for? I no, I I think he is the god of the sun and stuff, and I I think he still has a part to play in that. But you know, if, if the clouds are there blocking the sun, it was Urson's job um, to roar and and bring those those clouds away. And I I kind of um, there's. Yeah, in another thing uh, that may be coming, um, I kind of explained that maybe the roar is 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 not a literal roar, but it's a massive massive storm that kind of breaks the breaks those winter, turns the snows to to rain, and then and then once that has dissipated, then the sun will come, and that will be Dash's role. So to, what to... you're saying is it's kind of a it sounds like every single one of the Kislevite gods is involved. Like it sounds like it's kind of a collaborative effort. Yeah, I, I would certainly say so. But Urson is the start of that process, right? So with him gone, it just it just can't get off the ground. Obviously, we needed to make Urson the start of that process. So, so because he because he's missing, um, that process can't start, and so Kislev is then in peril, and so you are motivated, or Kislev is motivated um, to you know find him. That is super interesting. Okay, so mm, I wonder what the other three are up to. And you know, it's yeah, quite complicated. <laughs> yeah, it's great. No, I I think it's great. I I genuinely do. Um, 
speaking of exciting things, uh, Nathan, what which, which you got for us, my dude? Uh, so there is one particular loading screen which has kind of struck out to us recently, which seems to hint at a name change for a very old character known, used to be known as Baba Yaga, to uh, Mother Ostankia. Is there mm -hmm. any word on her? Is she still a hag? Is there still a, a house with chicken legs? If you can tell us anything about her, anything, we'll take it. We don't even really care. It could, it could, whatever little scraps we can get. Because uh, she's in a loading screen. Um... Um, yes, um, she's out there. <laughs> okay. Good. Good. Again, a certain asset that will be dropping soon. Um, may mm. or may not talk about her a bit. Um, cool. but the, the, okay, so what I can do is talk about in a more kind of yeah, like any, any like yeah. myths or stories in the lore that the Kislevites tell about her, that would be great. Warhammer is obviously full of these archetypes. There's my bunny. No, I was about to say we got we yeah. got a bunny. <laughs> yeah, he's our new new family member. All right, we got we got my dad, we got my dog, Nathan's cats, Andy Hall's bunnies. We're we're going, we're going here. Someone bring a budgie and we're good. Yep. Yeah, he was called Boris until yesterday. Then he nipped me on the finger. So now he's called Bellacore, and he seems to like that better. So <laughs> oh man, he he was corrupted. How sad. <laughs> he's got corrupted with um, human blood now, um, which makes him even more like the Holy Grail rabbit, doesn't it? Mm. Um, anyway. <laughs> Uh, I've lost my friend. Well, what were we talking so, about? So, uh, can you tell? Can, do we know any like? Uh, so not like, oh, this is what you would see, but can you tell us like any yeah. like in-game myth or sorry, in-lore myths or rumors about this Mother Ostankia character? Um. Yeah, I mean, I can. I, no, because <laughs> 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 we're going to cover that. Okay. Um, cool. Okay. But. What I could talk about is how Warhammer takes these kind of archetypes um, and, and rarely just does a copy and paste from the real world, um, and, but always takes, makes a Warhammer twist in it. So I, I can tell you that Baba Yaga um, isn't, in, isn't in Warhammer anymore. Um, okay. Because that was, a, it was almost, it was two on the nose. Yeah, well, two, yeah. Mm. It was first mentioned, written by a good friend of mine, Thomas Pirin, um, in, a, in a Citadel journal. Uh, mm -hmm. And I, th I think at that point, you know, he was just taking all this cool lore from where he lived in Finland. And yeah. obviously, Russia's very close there, taking all that cool cool stuff and, and bringing it down. But kind of what the next level is, you, you take those archetypes and you twist them and make them Warhammer. Mm. And... And that Baba Yaga uh, stuff was was it's too on the nose. So is there an archetype of a kind of a hag that lives in the woods uh, uh, that is feared, but may also be a protector of that very land? Um, yes, there is that archetype, um, um, but it's now not Baba Yaga; it's Mother Ostankia. And yeah, you'll probably learn more about her um, in. Yeah, no, she's certainly mentioned, certainly coming soon. Um, but, you know, awesome. More to that's great. So, that's someone, cool. That's cool. Yeah, someone probably very close to the uh, the young. I, I must say, I'm so pleased about how much Ungle stuff there is 
um, when you're playing through the game, like, you know, with Costalton literally starts his campaign almost going on an ethnic cleansing of the poor guys. Uh, so I'm very, very interested to see when we're going to, uh, how we're going to handle when we start getting into more of their uh, figures, which I imagine she's one of. But um, uh, yeah. moving forward. Oh, go ahead. I'll let you go. I was going to do a tangent, but... Let, no, I'll we let want you. your tangents. No, no, Please, one. We, we want tangents. them. Okay, so so we have that dichotomy and, um, you know, the Ungles versus the Gospodars. Um, and I, I talked about this a little bit the other day with um, Italian Spartacus. Um, but obviously, that's quite a niche part of, of Kislev law, which in itself is a niche race within, within Warhammer law. And, you know, all of us three here, um, we are immersed in that Warhammer lore and we've grown up with it. Um, and I'm sure if there's anyone watching, I don't know. <laughs> but the, the many people that are watching now, they are probably also very immersed in the Warhammer lore. Um, but, you know, to to bring this game to, to the millions, millions of people that are coming to, coming to play it, um, they probably don't know what a Gospodar and an Ungol is. Um, and so we wanted something that they could instantly see um, is interesting about Kislev. We still wanted that dichotomy. Um, but, you know, that people would click with instantly yeah. and go, oh, mm. I get it. Mm. So, yeah. so, you know, again, in, always in conjunction with Games Workshop, I think that they brought that to us. You know, we have this kind of church versus state kind of situation going on. So again, that's a hook that's kind of easily easy to see and easy to perceive uh, and kind of get a buy-in quite quickly. Um, but that's not to say that that more subtle kind of cool aspect of kids there, like the Gospodars and the Ungols, are, as, as you've already said, it's still there and it's still it's still part of that that IP that that flavour, and and you know you'll see it in the text and and jury story and no doubt in the future we'll maybe even deep do a deeper dive on that um because then we've got those players and they they kind of as most people do with warhammer they kind of learn it by osmosis by by playing these games by reading the army books by you know just being around other nerds (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, and that's how they kind of learn and, and become get deeper into the world so at that point when we do do something, uh, you know, that's maybe Ungol themed or Gospodar themed, um, there'll be that buy-in rather than kind of doing it from day one. And yeah. a lot of people going, uh, uh, what's this yeah. about? What's yeah, the difference? That, and, and I, I think the game is set up to uh, support that very nicely because yeah, I mean, it, it, it definitely is something you'll notice playing Kiss Levy. You just kind of have these constant threads popping up about the Ungols. Um, uh, and kind of, and we we also kind of see that with the ropesmen as well, um, being kind of the third prominent um, culture that seems to be there. Um, which um, I was speaking with Nathan about it because Nathan knows more about the older lore than I do. Um, and the ropesmen were kind of like um, they existed, but they were a very very minor footnote almost, even compared to like they were even more minor than that divide between the Ungols. Um, and the Gospodars, and they seem to be kind of coming back a little bit, seeing as they are the ones that start off in control of Prague. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that, that's just a case of, you know, as, as 
casting her net wide and you know mark sinclair a, a campaign uh, designer will come to me and goes i need x number of, of factions so I, i'd go on the hunt make sure we got the factions go oh, ropesmen are cool and oh i can link them to prague and yeah so great so, yeah i found that quite exciting when i was playing i saw the ropesman name i was like oh wow this is a nice throwback you know Exactly, it's, it's a nice through about whether it, it's not necessarily fundamental to, to the game itself, but you know, I try and get as, as I've said to you guys before, I try and get as many Easter eggs into the game as possible. Awesome. Uh, speaking of uh, throwbacks, Nathan, you got a more monstrous themed question for us. Yeah, so uh, there's a lot of older Kids of Light lore, which we had mention of loads of different monsters and so on, like the Bat Like Frost Fiends, the Avalanche Coaching Indrika, the Firebirds of Dars. Do they still exist in lore, or...? Because obviously things change, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know, to be honest. Um, I, the good thing about Warhammer is it, that stuff can go away, and and sometimes it's never seen again. Other times, you know, a, a, another designer will, will just bring it out the drawer and say, they're here, and they've always been here. We just didn't yeah. mention them. <laughs> that's 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 how the entirety of Warhammer Three feels to me, <laughs> right right now. <laughs> okay, so well well so we have some MIA monsters, but we'll have to see if they are in creatures. We shouldn't uh, maybe monsters is the right word. Creatures. We'll have to keep an eye out for them in the future. Um, uh, Absolutely. Next question, Nathan. Oh, this one's good. I like this one. Uh, wait, let me just find it there. Um. God, I'm blind today. Uh, the, the the letter one, right? Yeah, yeah, the letter one. We're going, we're going down for the list there. Um, so the letter in the intro trailer seems to imply that Yuri is Catherine's former lover. Is this correct? And will this get expanded upon? If so, yeah. And so when when we say intro trailer for anyone listening, we mean the announcement. Cause, yeah. Because uh, you can read that letter if you. I did it. If you freeze frame it, you can actually read the letter on the her desk, and it, it does seem to imply there was a good, there was an interesting relationship between the queen and her uncle prince. Um, so, can can you tell us anything? Any confirmations? Any any dirty drama that you can <laughs> let us in on on that? <laughs> uh, yes and yes. <laughs> so they um, were lovers. Okay. Uh, yeah, and again that. That thing may be coming. That we that thing may be cleared up sooner rather than later. Oh, um, man! Uh, if that, you give us a short story, uh, if you um, give us a short story about her finding out what he's turned into, I would love that so much. <laughs> yeah, that would be cool. <laughs> that is some that's some S tier drama that I need in my life. <laughs> um. Well. We'll see about that, but um, uh, that letter itself, um, it's, uh, yeah, it, <laughs> I, I, I worked with one of our brand managers to do it, and um, and they were like, um, will they figure this out quickly? I was like, no, take a month. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, day three, YouTube videos, this is what the letter says. <laughs> Uh, and I think someone got it absolutely bang on. Um, and I was like, <laughs> I think I, I think I think I sent you a, a Twitter a Twitter email about it. 
because um, the, there's a couple of secret Easter eggs in some of the earlier Warhammer 2 trailers, which I think um, to this day have st- haven't still been um, figured oh, out. Don't don't say that. Then I gotta then I gotta like do stuff. <laughs> don't, they, don't say that. Oh, time now. Um, um, but yeah, we. I, I was expecting that to take a bit longer, <laughs> but. But um, yeah, I, I think one per like I say one person I saw absolutely got it, nailed it. Oh. <laughs> um, but it seemed to go away again. But you know, I, I love doing stuff like that. So well, um, and, it, and it was cool because for anyone that doesn't know Yuri, um, a a a Yuri who is an uncle that falls to chaos is actually a an adventure hook from um, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay Second Edition, way back way back um i think it was um i think it was an adventure hook on one of the careers that appeared in the the ice realm of kislev book or something um so it was really cool to see that story taken but it, it was incredibly well adapted to fit warhammer 3 and changed a lot um because the original yuri was i think just like a horse guy um whereas we get prince yuri here and he goes he doesn't just fall to chaos but he goes all the way to a demon prince um so, but it was just such a cool thing to get to see that evolution mm. yeah and you know those things are there for to bring to you know to start those speculations and, and yeah I, I totally it's fun watching all that stuff unravel and and people think and go off on tangents on themselves and stuff mm. it's cool we love it all right great uh so uh for the for the next question um so a, a popular ask and it's it's something that uh um something that is close to my heart as well is that when when Katarin, uh we were originally introduced to her back at back in the day in tabletop um one of the things that was kind of famous for her uh, granted it wasn't part of her model it was something you'd have to kind of kit bash yourself because dw liked to <laughs> give us like mounts or creatures and you just kind of had to figure it out back in the day um unlike those spoiled kids nowadays who get an actual mini for all their rules um is that Katarin was known to have kind of like a sled kind of like the original myth of the ice queen um from uh i think it's norwegian myth or eastern european but that uh that ice queen um had a, having a sled and Katarin had a similar one pulled by like reindeer or indrika which are kind of like a the reindeer of the warhammer world um is there any particular reason why um uh we saw her kind of just ending up with a bear like she does have a unique bear mount that looks very nice um, but is there kind of any reason, um, like, just, does she still have the sled? It just wasn't brought into the game for various reasons? Or is the sled just kind of one of those things that just hasn't made it into the modern setting? I think she still has the sled. So, you know, I'm going to be absolutely truthful here. I think we took her eye off the ball there. Um, and I, I think... Um, so one of the things about being in a studio environment... And certainly one of my jobs, you know, is walking around, you know, I'll see one of the artists got something up, I'll go over and, and go, that's cool, oh, could you do that? And, and you know, and uh, I, when I first joined the studio, um, uh, I was known as the Moore Schools guy. <laughs> <laughs> and the artist, like, oh, Andy's coming. And I go, more schools, more schools, more schools. Mm. <laughs> and... I, I think one of the um, uh, one of the ways the pandemic's kind of affected us, you know, when we was all brought back into the uh, to our own, you know, working from home, you lose a bit of that collaboration. And I, I I think if we'd probably been in the studio 
all this time, I'd like to think I'd have gone, Catherine needs a sledge, and and maybe we would have got it in. Mm. Um, there's been a you know there's a couple of areas um, where the, the pandemic's kind of you know not helped the situation. Uh, the fact the plague bearers don't count um, is one of my bugbears, um, <laughs> and that's purely because we weren't allowed uh, more than one or two people in the sound booths. Um, ah, I see. COVID regulations. So, so you know, we always used if we need kind of crowd chants and stuff. We uh, at CA, it's very collaborative. It's a great atmosphere. And uh, one of the audio engineers would go, you know, we need 10, 15 people in the sound booth to do some chaos screams and everyone would pile in and it'd be great fun. Um, We obviously couldn't do that uh, in a pandemic situation. So we've lost a couple of those areas. And the one that always gets me uh, is the fact that the play bearers aren't counting. well, maybe maybe if we're lucky, um, as things continue towards normalcy in the world, and maybe if they do something for more Nurgle stuff in the future, we can get our counting guys as a patched in, and maybe even Katarin Sled one day in the future. Crazier things have happened in this game. Uh, everyone, of course, remembers the infamous Albrecht Trident. Uh, for those who, for those who played Warhammer One, the Albrecht Trident was a pretty hilarious series of events. Um, but uh, so maybe the sled will be our Warhammer 3 Triton, <laughs> yeah, and maybe we'll get it in. You know, I hope, I hope being candid is a cool thing for you guys. Uh, <laughs> and you're not pre orders, and uh, therefore I will be fired. <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, perfect. Um, although I would say one freeze is about as perfect as a game as you can get, there's about a uh, it's 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 pretty... cause trouble and become a shadow god somewhere. Oh, I'm sure I'm I'm sure he's up to machinations. Uh, Nathan, onwards and upwards. Uh, no, I think you should have this one because this is a this is a very passionate one for you. Oh, okay, well then you can have the next few. Episodes. Oh, oh, okay, okay, gotcha. Um, so all right, there's a there's a character in Kislev lore that I I really love. Like when they announced Kislev, I think it was the first major video I did on it. Um, which is a character that's known as the Ancient Widow, who's supposedly um, this mysterious, true benefactor of Kislev. Like, she is Kislev. She's this ancient... Like, there's so little about her, but we know that there's this mysterious, shriveled corpse woman hidden somewhere in the lands of Kislev, which is where ice magic comes from, it's where the lore of the hags comes from, and that she is the power of the land itself. She's kind of like the sentience behind it. And um, I, there's an event that appears in game that really caught my attention where you can get a dilemma where this uncle will come up and be like, oh, the ground cracked open. And I, I heard this feminine voice talking to me from the, this opening in the earth. And uh, she offered me a boon and all the gospel are like, this dude's crazy. Get this guy out of here. But you get to you get to pick something. And I was curious if you could uh, confirm for us, d- does the Ancient Widow still exist? Is she still kind of lurking in the shadows as one of the guardians of Kislev? See, we, we don't mention the Ancient Widow uh, in the game anywhere, actually. Um, mm. but I, I refer back to a, an earlier question where, you know, sometimes we rest these concepts and, and sometimes they, they come back. I, I think the Motherland concept is, is kind of... Is, 
substituted the ancient widow. Now, that's not to say that maybe at a later date we'll reveal the motherland, you know, and the ancient widow are kind of entwined and that we hint, certainly that event kind of kind of hints that there may be something there. Mm. Um, but as of this moment, um, we don't kind of talk about the ancient widow. It's not really mentioned. Okay. But... Great. Not something I'm certainly not ruling it out its existence. Gotcha. I, you know, the mother it's the motherland that's invoked rather than the ancient widow. Gotcha. No, I am um, the same con concepts. I, I think that's a, a, something that we'll we'll you know we'll look at and develop further down the road. Great. I cannot yeah. wait to see that explored. All right, Nathan, you can you can finish up all the Kislev questions that we got. Uh there's quite a few. Uh Okay, so next one we've got here is, are there any other interesting names, characters in Kislev, even if we can't have uh, some specifics, but some tidbits, which we've seen some hints in events and so on, but maybe a little bit more context, if possible, of course? Yeah, like, and, and we, we just mean like, uh, like archetypes, or if you have names or little tidbits about them, we'd love to hear them. But kind of like yeah. when we when we talked about Cathay in the last time we had you on Lord Beards, we talked about some like kind of specialist character type people that are running around. Um, do we have any of that kind of info for Kislev? Well, you know, we, we talk about the Golden Knight in the game, uh, Narieshka. Um, she's she's like the the, um, the champion of the Tsar or the Tsarina. So she's kind of like uh, the, the Kurt Helborg to Fran she is to Katarin? More like the Ludwig. Uh, oh, okay. More Swartel. Okay. okay, cool. Okay. And um, and yeah, it's normally a male role, um, and you know I'm just referencing stuff that we've already kind of talked about in the game here. Yeah. And um, uh, the current one though is the daughter of the last one, who Narieska, who's um, said to be you know an even more prominent fighter than the father, and and that each each golden knight has a bespoke piece of armor that is 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 forged for them uh, as part of their their gift um and that it's imbued uh, and legend legend says that it's imbued uh, with magical properties this is warhammer so that's pretty certain isn't it Pro probably <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and interestingly enough um uh that you know it's blessed by both the zarina and and the cult of urson so She's one of the few characters that will fuse together uh, the church and the state, and will serve both. Oh, very cool! Awesome. Is is there anybody else out there um, that are kind of that you could that are there any like rumors about? So we we've kind of heard we've heard about this this night. We've heard about uh, we've kind of talked about Mother Ostenkia and stuff like that. Um, is there anyone else that's kind of like important to know that people should have on their radars of like um, as Kislev continues to evolve with Games Workshop? Um, people who might be kind of appearing um, for for lore people who kind of, kind of want to look out for recognizable faces. You know, I don't want to spoil all surprises for our DLC um, DLC team, but you know, new cool characters is certainly being worked on. Um, I don't think we've talked about any others just yet. Okay, so, great, awesome. It's all it's all to come. Onwards. Cool. Uh, so older lore. Uh, implied very heavily that Prague had a resting deity uh, under a glass coffin. 
Does she still remain? Is she there? Um, I'll follow that under the Ancient Widow thing in that I don't think we specifically talk about her. Mm. Um, you know, we, we know that's in those that that Realm of the Ice Queen um, role playing book. Um, yeah. But uh, we don't specifically mention that at the moment. Yeah. Will we at a future point, because um, it's a long roadmap, uh, return to that concept? Uh, it's certainly possible. But, yeah, because um, she, she was quite curious. So before we jump into the next, I've got a little minor question. So there was one sentence in law way back in the day. I can't remember what exact book it was, but Catherine had siblings. Oh, yeah. Does she, she still have siblings? I don't think she does. Also, uh, this I highly doubt this is written anywhere because Games Workshop's kind of notorious for leaving little little spots just for mystery and enigma. Uh, do we know anything about Boris's wife and Catherine's mother? Like, um, what happened to her or who she was or anything like that? I don't, again, I don't know. Sorry, it's been, these last couple of questions have been a bit boring. <laughs> no, 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 you're all good. You're all good. No, I, I, I actually think it makes her a stronger character if she's an only child. I think it's okay. got brothers and stuff. Then you've got to go, well, who's, why is she taking the throne? Is, is it by dint of being the eldest or, or, or mm. what? So I actually like that she's, she's an only child. Mm. Um, so, I'm, I don't think she's got brothers or sisters. Um, again, yeah. may change. Um, um, as for her, her, her mom, no, we haven't really covered that. To be fair, um, again, it kind of makes her stronger. I think if and and it's very Kislevian and if, oh if yeah, she's kind of forged, forged by a, you know, um, things that have haven't gone her way in her life. So. Yeah. I know if I was kind of writing her bio um, right now, I, I would probably say, you know, she probably lost her mother young and then she lost her father um, as, as it happens. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and, and therefore she's, she's kind of had to become this strong world woman well, um, without much of parents or, or siblings. Yeah, and it, it it does seem that because uh, the only the only stories we kind of have that seem to hint towards is that of course we have that story of how Boris met Erskine when he kind of ran off into the woods like a hoodlum to go fight a bear, uh, so he could you know go through the rites of initiation for, to be a priest. And Catherine was just a kid, but because they didn't know where Boris was, they had to start preparing her to be Tsarina because they were like, oh, is Boris dead? <laughs> Um, so, you know, even at that young age, she didn't have her mom around, so it seems like she died very, very young. Um, but, uh, alright. Let's move on. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like, I can't, what's more Kislevite and <laughs> growing up without, you know, the warmth of having your mom around? Alright, uh, so we're gonna go, uh, actually hit a couple things with Cathay now. Um, and, okay, there's a question I gotta ask. I have to ask this. So with with uh, um, how things are right now, people are able to kind of see um, uh, the ends of campaigns and stuff now. And there's there's only one campaign ending that I have to ask about from a lore standpoint, which is that so in um, Cathay, obviously their campaign revolves very heavily around Shinzu, uh, who is the, the Dragon of Light. She is the, 
the um seems like probably one of the younger dragon kids considering that she's like the bringer of hope and all this stuff um but in the the game we kind of end on a cliffhanger with shinzu which is that uh, you don't really find her um at the end of the campaign you get more of like ursin confirms that she's alive and says oh go look for her here um yeah so are you could you share with it any details with us about like what kind of happened to shinzu and like where she may be is there is there any information that is not revealed necessarily um in the game that you could tell us about shinzu why she went north of norska and where um where we may the Cathayans may be looking for her well i mean they got kind of got what they wanted from Ursin, you know right they, mm -hmm. they got that um next part of the puzzle um or the treasure hunt so to speak or um so they know where you know where in the norskan mountains or or the, or the the area kind of that big swell of area north of kislev that she is so so they're gonna you know they're heading in that direction but it's not like we just turn up to this cave move a bit of dirt and she's going to be there you right know, she's hidden or for a reason or or lost and if if she is it you know it's going to be deep under the under the mountains um i mean other than that other than what's already in the game i i don't want to speculate because um you know, I, I talked about a concept with, with Tony Spartacus the other day called the door ajar. Right, um, you mentioned this on the last time we had you on. Yeah, yeah, I okay, guess one of my things. Um, because <laughs> one of the things with Rick Priestley and, and, and journalists and stuff when I was at, at GW. And and it's about leaving that door. And, you know, with Shinzu, we're, we're leaving that door ajar. We're giving the, the cafeans a kind of... Um, happy ending is the wrong word, a fulfilling ending. Um, but we're also leaving the door ajar for us to either expand on that story or let games, more importantly, let Games Workshop expand on that story. Right. Because mm -hmm. they're gracious enough to to kind of let us use one of the <clears throat> one of the few kind of missing or unaccounted for, for Dragon Children as one of our big motivators um, uh, for, for, for that story. And I really like that story in in the concept that he's immediately the the advisor is immediately wrong footage when he when he goes. As I'm sure you guys have seen that. Mm. Right. In, that, mm. that in the intro, he go he's going almost a bit blase. Think I'll just offer them the power of a guard. What 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 person can't refuse that? And they're like, no no no, you're not here for that reason. You're here to help us. It's almost like yeah yeah we know what you are. But you're here to help us anyway, mm -hmm. kind of thing. Well, great. Which I really like. So he, he felt a bit wrong footed, more, probably more slightly more wrong footed then than if he visits, you know, one of the other one of the demons, even Kairos. They seem to be on top of him better than that, better than him. Uh, can um, I take advantage for something now that he's mentioned something that I, I, I've had this in my head for a while? We know what you are. Now, this is something that comes into question, like, say, for example, when Boris speaks to the advisor. Oh, yeah, he kind of leads with that, like, I know what you are, but let's let's get to yeah. it. Well, I, I think in those cases, when he's referring to that, they, it's like, you know, spoilers from Warhammer 1, we know 
what what the advisor's ultimate fate is. We know he's he he's important. What he is, you know, he was sent to this world to to basically advise all these different warlords to create war to serve Zench. <clears throat> and you know, a, a vast majority of those uh, those warlords and legendary lords uh, come to it from purely how do you, how can you serve me and further my my agendas. Um, but there are certain characters like Boris, who's you know crossed the veil. He I get the feeling he knows exactly what that advisor is. He knows he's a port, he's a, a Zenchian servant. He doesn't care anyway. Because to him, what's most important is saving his bear god, who's in literal Warhammer hell, dying. Yeah. <laughs> so he's yeah. like, yeah, I know, I know you're a servant of Zench, but I know you that book. I need you to use that book to get me there anyway. So I know what you are. And and again, I think the Caffeine Lords are a bit like that as well. You know, we know what you are, but. You're going to serve us anyway. Yeah, you're you're because... useful. <laughs> so you get to live for a minute. And again, I think that all feeds into the greyness of Warhammer as well. You know, there are no ultimate good guys here, or oh well, yeah. And you got you got to use what you got. It's a dangerous world. Yeah. Out for their own kind of interests, whether that interest is saving saving a bear god to free their nation. All right. Um, ultimately, a good thing. Right. Um, Nathan, you got the next one for us? Uh, yeah, the Moon Empress and Dragon Emperor were working on something which could, which would be revealed at a later date. Can we have some more information about that? Or we're still waiting for that date to arrive? This is a follow-up no. from the last time <laughs> we talked. <laughs> Warhammer Lipia. <laughs> I have a plan that they're working on. Yeah, I know, know what that is. Uh, Games Workshop knows what that is. Um, but I'm not going to reveal that. Now. Dang, not uh, yet. Okay. That's not for me to reveal. That's for the good folks at Games Workshop. Adam, when they Games like. Workshop, give me my dang army book. <laughs> okay, great. Um, so we'll be revealed in the future. Oh, I'm so excited to learn about that. I'm, I'm, yeah. I can't wait to make fun of them for not learning from the old ones, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> um, so, okay, I've got a big question here, which is, um, so something that uh, the audience has had a lot of fun speculating about, I've had a lot of fun speculating about, um, is that we kind of know that uh, among the dragon kids, the nine as they're known, um, eight of them are associated with various uh, one of the winds of magic, and then there's one kind of unaligned kiddo, or maybe he's all of them combined. Who knows? Um, so uh, uh, just through kind of deducing and various things, kind of narrowed it down to a couple of stragglers, and I was wondering if you'd be able to kind of fill these in. Of, could you tell us <laughs> what? Because so Yin, so based on kind of like Chinese mythology and stuff, it seems that Yin Yin, the dragon of the east, seems to be the dragon of beasts. I don't know if you're or the dragon of wood. I guess it would be. I don't know if you're able to confirm that. Um, and is Yuan Bo the jade dragon? Do we know if he is the unaligned kid, or it seems that some of his titles refer to him as being the heavens dragon? Uh, well, he's master of the meteor winds, so so that should tell you, yeah, yeah. He, okay, so he, he's the heavens dragon. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think mean, I, I I haven't got my book, my cafe book, in front of me. Maybe in here. 
just showing um, off that he has a book, right? He's I know. Just, I've rock, got the book, you don't. <laughs> Uh, yeah, maybe over there, but I don't want to pull it out and uh, and reveal a, a, a cover that you guys probably, probably <laughs> let, me, let me see that. I, let me see that. Uh, that um, um, okay, so uh, I, uh, so okay, knowing that he's the Heaven's Dragon kind of lines everything else up. I think because um, Yin Yang, I feel I feel very confident Yin Yang is beast due to the association of like the actual myth mythological creature in china of the east it has to do with the element of wood uh which we've spoken about that each of the elemental winds of Cathay of like stone uh wood metal fire um spirit and all that stuff seem to ha have direct correlations with the uh winds of magic um so would it be safe to say then that the uh, unaligned kiddo um we know the spirit dragon is in the Cathayan underworld up to something the light dragon Shinzu is vanished in the north um so that seems to pretty much just leave the shadow dragon and the unaligned dragon as kind of the only really really mysterious missing ones uh which is super exciting yep that was all your speculation I mean, no, I don't know. hey I, yeah but I, I feel confident in that speculation now um and at least until i get my hands on that book uh which kind of a follow-up to that and and i you might not be able to answer this um without the book on hand and they might not have even written this i, I guess this would be a good question if you've uh, read it just to know it exists do all of the dragon kids have official names or are some of them kind of in the soul loss that they're almost like kind of like 40k lost primark level where we don't know anything about them because uh, like Shinzu, yeah. we obviously were like, oh, okay, so the uh, light dragon's name is Shinzu, and the spirit dragon is talked about a ton in Warhammer Three. Uh, she even kind of comes up in the the ep or the the finale with Urson. She plays a large role in that. And whenever you summon ancestral warriors, you literally see the spirit dragon do this little portal thing, and all the dead guys come walking out to join you. Um, do we know any of the other? So that's three dragons whose names we don't know. Do they have official names, or has Games Workshop kind of uh, left that nebulous? I get I, that's that's deliberately been left nebulous. Um, again, I, I'll refer to the kind of the Dora, Dora Jar concept, and this is a classic, classic example of that of that concept. You know, you you have five dragons already. You established the fact that five are in, and and you know. I, a designer could have left it there, but a good designer knows, you know, ah, but we'll say there's four out there already um, for future kind of use, um, yeah. but deliberately don't name them, etc. And then we rather greedily almost immediately went, can we use one of those? Yes! And then we're really good with that. Um, so you're already down to three. Um, um, but no, they're, they're not not named and deliberately so um so that you know as and when they they want to come and develop them um they're, they're not kind of blocked in or, or already in yeah. the corner well and at least such a fun room for speculation like i know i've already developed a headcanon for every single dragon kid like i've already i'm already like i as far as i'm concerned one of them got killed and ate by the ogres which is why they threw the meteor at them one of them turned into a chaos dragon archaeon killed it and got the Ishirian. And the rest are accounted for at that point. So, like, I'm I'm done. I'm good. 
or cool origins and i like that but again you said that not me yeah yeah i said that yeah um games workshop if you want to pay me i will i will send you my address you can use those ideas free charge i won't charge royalties like you can have it (laughs) Um, it's just curious though because considering the fact that obviously uh for people who aren't aware this is a similar system done in warhammer 40,000 with two lost primarchs as sotek said but we know nothing what 30 years later what? I'm, uh, I just hope that yeah. I'm still alive, we, we right? Know nothing yet. <laughs> That's because the mystery is stronger than the than the reveal, and you know a lot of great IPs have have that, and certainly 40k. You know, it, it, the concept of the mystery uh, is more powerful than than probably what the truth is. Um, I can't talk to Games Workshop uh, at some point. They may, they may visit those, those things. But again, it's like you should never know the name of Doctor Who because, because the mystery is more powerful. Yeah, it's a critical component. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, no, but I and I, I am glad that we do have like a surprising amount of info on even the missing Dragon Kids, just due to little bits about their siblings. Um, there's actually some really. There's a lot of really interesting stuff you're able to uh, draw from, you know, in that they have like an associated lore and stuff like that. Um, but uh, Nathan, you ready to you ready to move us on from the dragon kiddos? Uh, yeah. Okay. So there's a quote revolving around the Monkey King, where he's described differently with different ape features, different type of ape, and so on. Have they not seen him in a long time? Has he just turned into a myth? Like you know, one of those types of little short uh, stories that you see around your town where people will describe an event differently. Yeah, and j- just for anyone listening that hasn't seen that particular image, um, just to kind of drive it in how crazy the descriptions get, um, Cathay seems to have a very large disagreement among the populace about what the Monkey King actually is, where in the north he's a raging gorilla that is very corn-centric, or like a literally a big red angry gorilla that kills everything around him. I think in the west... He's imagined as a baboon that's always in heat and is very slaneshi themed. And then in the uh, the east, he's this gluttonous um, uh, orangutan that has boils and sores all over him, very nerglish. And in the south, they see him as a, this sneaky little spider monkey who whispers in people's ears and misleads them and tricks them and stuff, very Zinchian themed. So there's this, this huge mystery about it. And we're just kind of curious what um uh is there any uh do we know any truth behind what the monkey king is uh and but more importantly um because you know we're not digging here for potential dlc stuff but how how has Cathay developed such wild different mythologies about someone that uh only 200 years ago declared himself emperor yeah so well, two hundred years ago is a long is a, is a, is a long time in a, in a um, in a civilization. Oh yeah, for humans especially. Yeah, internet. <laughs> a lot of misinformation can happen in that time. Um, so I, I'm for people that have probably already watched the Italian Spartacus uh, thing. I, I'm going to repeat a lot of stuff here um, because it's true. Um, but people that probably didn't didn't watch that missed it. Um, so it, a lot of that depends on on kind of the death of an author concept, whether you're taking the author's intent um, or, or reading it purely as the piece of text as it is. And, and if you did, you could probably go, oh, the Monkey King's aligned with chaos. Um, 
But I, I think that uh, that quote starts very specifically uh, with an unreliable narrator clause, doesn't it? Um, yes, legend. and it it comes off very heavy as like Dragon Emperor propaganda as opposed to actual stories. Exactly. Well, the you know he took over. It's not in the dragon's interest to have the Monkey King seen as a folk hero, is it? Right. Uh, um, also, but also, um, and kind of when I wrote it, my kind of in, intention is, and we, we've already talked about how of all the chaos gods, the most prevalent in cafe, the, the one that seems to be able to get its hooks into cafe more than the others is Qian Chi, uh, Zench. And what is Zench known for? He's, you know, a literal god of lies. Um, you know, he has a demon called the Lord. Of... <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. He's all he's all about obfuscating and making things messy. Yeah. So, I I mean, when I wrote that, I, I was imagining a certain very sp- specific agent of, of Zinch going round to all these different places in Cafe. And maybe he takes the form as like a wise old man who will sit by the fire and go, let me tell you of the... Of uh, of the monkey king, he is a uh, an orangutan, an obese orangutan with boils on his boils that burst upon his belly, and and then, like you say, maybe he goes south and ah, oh, and and takes different form. Maybe this time it's uh, a you know a well-to-do cafean lady, and she tells her ladies at the tea house, oh, the monkey king. Um, takes form as a spider monkey yeah and so we, everyone should... there, there is a very infamous zinch character who loves doing stuff like that <laughs> that we all know and love so it serves chaos uh, and zinch in particular like maybe they don't want the monkey king to be aligned in any way um we know we know already there's a very antagonistic relationship between cafe and the monkey king in general but we also know um, that the Monkey King uh, provides monkey warriors um, to um, the legions of Grand Cafe. Yeah, so we, it's we, not always a, a thing. So maybe it serves chaos and Zench in particular, in particular, to make sure you know that these two kind of subfactions never permanently align. Yeah, and, and that's something we kind of talked about the last time we had you on, is that the Monkey King's almost this, like, he's almost this, like, Archon the Black figure, where, like, sometimes he's helpful, sometimes he's not, and I'm sure Lee Dao absolutely hates him, but, like, has to deal with him sometimes. Um, I'll repeat the anecdote I said uh, the other day, because uh, I like it. Um, I think there's a Ranger Smith slash Yogi Bear dynamic going on. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and, and that that enemies and the monkey kings keep stealing all those picnic baskets. Uh, but actually, um, maybe they like each other. Yeah, and that know. that seems to line up very nicely with like the 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 original myths about like our world's mythological monkey king, where he's kind of this <laughs> he's kind of this necessary good guy, but man, is he a like he is such a pain in the ass for like the celestial court and all these people to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, and like some of them like him, though they would never admit it. Like they would rather die than admit it. <laughs> yeah. 
that's not to say he's been an absolute git for 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 Grand Cafe at times. Like you say, um, he he did claim the throne of the uh, of the empire and installed a clanation, uh, the yeah, leader of clanation. Part, part of me wonders if the Skaven convinced him that was a great idea. Uh, Fanning his pride a little bit, like, hey, we don't have an emperor. The emperor's missing. Someone's got to be emperor. You should be emperor. <laughs> be great, great. Yeah. Boss. Come on, rats, monkeys. We're not that different. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, awesome. That's that's very exciting stuff. Uh, I hope we'll get to see more of him in the future. Um, uh, Nathan, why don't you, why don't you take us to the first uh, miscellaneous question? Because I know this is this is such a big thing for you. So yeah, so uh, this is a this is something that kind of hyped me up just from reading it. It's like just an Easter egg or something. But there was a mention of one of the minor chaos gods, you know, and uh, <laughs> like I, I am devoted. You can see the chaos start like if it actually shows up, you know. I uh, you're branded. <laughs> yeah, I'm branded. I've got a Marcus Sinesh tattooed on me too. Oh, you, you turned off a little sec. Oh, sorry. I said you've got the Mark of Chaos Undivided there. I thought you, uh, I thought you were all about Slanesh. I've got a Mark of Slanesh too, but I can't show it on stream. Uh, <laughs> but, um, so, you know, seeing a little bit of a mention of a minor Chaos God, is that Dora Jar stuff? Is that just an Easter egg? Could they be potentially returning? Because obviously Age of Sigma does mention them too, you know? Yeah. So, well, you've got... 30, 35 years of, of lore here to play with, you know. Um, I, I, it's, it's an Easter egg, you know, it's to bring in. Uh, Games Watch, I've never ruled out the fact that there's, there's only full cast gods. It's just, yeah. obviously, full cast gods are at the absolute powerhouses of that realm. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, those, it's, you know, it's like I say, you, you know, you like to bring in these Easter eggs, uh, uh, and for 99% of people reading it, they'll just go, oh, that's cool. Uh, but for people like me and you, it's like, ooh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that but, to me was something. They're just there for that, you know. Mm. It's not necessarily, you know, the start of the next grand campaign. <laughs> <laughs> you see, because... Easter egg. Yeah, I mean, they've been getting new mentions from GW Law and so on. So for me, that's something special because Chaos for me has always been like really cool, right? So that for me was like, even if it's just an Easter egg, it just makes me happy to see that name pop up again. Yeah, I mean, we try and, well, I try and get as much of, of Warhammer, you know, funnel it all into, into these games. And hopefully I've done a good job of that. People seem yeah. to think so. I think, yeah, well, it, like, we live in such a bizarre golden age right now, where mm. between, like, what y'all are doing with Warhammer 3, Warhammer the Old World coming back at Tabletop, uh, the guys at Cubicle 7 have been very busy with 4th Edition, um, like, there's so much lore, and they're, they're it's weird, almost, seeing everything, because uh, Games Workshop back in uh, near Fantasy's original death was, a lot of things were kind of falling off the edges and we're basically yeah. kind of just not talked about anymore and now not only are they coming back and being talked about but they're being like updated to fit the modern canon and stuff so it's like you know you never know when you're going to turn a corner and run into some beloved piece of lore these days and you're like oh my god it's that thing it's back yeah um, which speaking of which i have a very specific question for andy and it's a personal question which is um just to put you on the spot <laughs> what can you, uh, if you're willing to share with us, what what is your favorite thing um, that, um, like for Warhammer Three or just anything you've been able to work on? What's your what's your favorite thing that has returned to the lore 
or is something new that's been added that has just made you like really giddy for you personally um i mean grand cafe is i know i know it's an obvious one but hey there's nothing wrong with that <laughs> you know if you'd told me in you know when i left games workshop in 2012 10 years now um that in 10 years time i'd be like the principal writer of, of the biggest warhammer game and and we'll have released grand cafe i would have i would have called you a goddamn liar yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you know the, the fact that games workshop were even willing to take that call i i remember i because i used to work i, I used to live in nottingham surprise surprise that's where games workshop was yeah and and i would commute down to horsham so for people who are not familiar with the united kingdom horsham south of london and um i would i would come down and and spend the week here and then go back up see family um and i did that for a for for a while and um i've all moved down south now anyway i just remember getting off the train thinking about maybe we should do grand cafe <laughs> and then going to see my boss ian who i work with a lot and um he's the game designer i've done lots of interviews with him you've probably seen he's a great guy and and just saying maybe we should do grand cafe and him going that's a good idea and then games workshop even taking that call and then not laughing us out uh the thing was was just crazy to me i know you almost expect to be like so about grand cut then they just hang up <laughs> it's just like stop calling <laughs> well, people ask, I'm, I'm sure all the licensees will ask those questions all the time uh, nah, nah. um but them going hmm. um and then obviously at that point that was still just a, a pie in the sky thing but obviously things started to escalate people started talking to each other and you know here we are we have a fully fleshed out grand cafe and roster um developed by you know workshop and it's a fantastic creation and um again like i keep saying we're only at the start of that journey there's so much more grand cafe to come yeah and and, and it's so exciting to see something that um you know at the start of warhammer 2 or what have you would have been um uh, one of those things where people would have been like, ah, oh, do you think we'll ever see this? And the answer would have been, no, absolutely not. Like, no way in hell. Like, you're never going to see that. It's just not possible. And yet, here we are. Um, which I hope, I hope we get to, I hope we get more surprises like that in the future of those, those crazy pie in the skies, like, oh, that's not possible. It's never going to happen, uh, arriving on our doorsteps. But we'll just have to wait and see what the future holds. Um, so... Uh, Nathan, I think the next question is yours about Mr. Bellacor. So, Bellacor wishes to become a god in a very unconventional way. It doesn't really follow the rules of ascension. So, is that changing slightly? Because, you well, know... What are the rules of ascension? Well, generally, it was formed on belief, wasn't it? Oh, okay, I... So, yeah, I, I guess what Nathan is asking is uh, we kind of see Bellacor using what I like to call the Nagash method, <laughs> where you just, it, you instead of becoming a god by people worshipping you, you eat another god. Um, yeah. 
Is that is that just kind of what Bellacor is up to? Is he's kind of stealing Nagash's playbook? Um, yeah. Again, spoilers uh, <laughs> for for people that probably haven't uh, gone. Because at first you're meant to believe, you know, he's just out of there, for, out there to to you know bring back his physical body, which he does. Um, uh, and then, um, you know, he's that's not enough for him. Um, um, because those who seek power always want more. Uh, that's a Bellacor quote. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, um, Bellacor is the king of. He should have stopped while he was ahead, <laughs> and he would have been yeah, fine. <laughs> and yeah, I I think his ambition is driven to the point that gods spite him and he hates them. So he's gonna he's he's gonna become one of them just to keep. And probably even when he even if he reaches that ascension, then that wouldn't be good enough for him. He'd want to become. He wanted to pose corn as to become the most powerful. Um, so yeah, what well, I think gods traditionally spring from belief, don't they? Um, but when mortals transcend into godhood, which let's face it, even in the Warhammer world is very, very rare. Um, and I don't think even in this timeline at this point, Nagash hasn't managed that yet. Um, yeah, correct. They have to do that by effectively. Eating, like you say, eating a god. Um, uh, I used to with um, with Lawrence, um, who helped me write the story. Um, me, him, and David. I, I would often say to him, "Bellacor's in the Forge of Souls, juicing." At this point, he's <laughs> <laughs> getting that person smoothie for his for his for his pre-god workout. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and he's taking that god energy. So, and I, I suppose. Circling all the way back to 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 your question, Nathan, is is like that belief energy is still there. It's just in a bear sized container. <laughs> so, it's, so yeah, so, so he's he's essentially co opting the belief in Urson. Yes, yes. Which again is a very bellicose thing to do. Yeah, I mean we've seen throughout the history of bellicose in general. You know, with uh, Shadows of Albion and so on. He he's smart. He's very very Dude, smart. Dude's great at stealing stuff that like he yeah. had nothing to do with, but he just takes advantage of it. The Albion Crisis, Mordheim, <laughs> this exactly, and in and in the end times as well. It, 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 again, it, it's all kind of on brand for Bellacor to do this stuff. Mm. Um. So so yeah, co I think co-opting that faith, which has uh formed into a giant bear um or bear god is, is is again is very within the realms of warhammer's internal logic mm -hmm. um rather than something that's so out there it's a bit that, that would never happen okay well, it kind of has and nagash certainly has done it before um or or will do um and you know you're in the realm of chaos as well. It's not like this is happening in the mortal world where yeah. you know, anything can go in the realm of chaos. So, so I think it's totally on brand and within the internal um, logic. Um, what I want one of you guys is to do is ask me about how did Yuri kill a bear with a pistol? Because <laughs> I've seen a couple of people ask me that. Okay, well, I'll, me. <laughs> like I'll say, I think the reason we didn't ask is because I think you did a great job of explaining that it's not the bullet that hurts him; it's the Thank renounced you. his faith that hurts him. Yes, it's this paragon 
And and I think uh, again the the screenplay does such a good job of explaining it. I, thanks to like I y'all killed the prologue. That is a great great story. I loved it so good. much. Like I don't listen. I know y'all got so much work going on, but if we could just get like more of those story campaigns, I mean just <laughs> just toss a few more of those in there. Like you gave me a hit of something I didn't know I needed, and now I know I need it. So <laughs> I need more of it. Well, I'm glad it's going down well. Um, but it, it was a lot of um, a lot of work and a lot of iteration to get the prologue to that place. And uh, again, it's not just me; it does this game right. I know I've I've, I've done a lot of these now, and I, the last thing I want people to do is go, you know, this game by Andy Hall. It's like there's literally hundreds of people, and they're all insanely talented. Um, you know, and led by like Ian and. Uh, Ian Roxburgh and Mark, Mark Southern who've done a great job just wrangling this whole project together and and the prologue uh, was one of those things, yes I was highly involved but there was uh, Lawrence and David who, who helped me write that story and and, and Joy and, anyway, I, I, it's going to sound like an award speech um, <laughs> so, <laughs> well it might as well be, it's say, great you know, the game is it, it's a brilliant game and it, there's hundreds of people involved to make a game like this and and we're all really proud of it um uh, i love that um something uh, which i will say something i think is not going to be nearly as appreciated as it should and this may not have been intention intentional but it's something that i genuinely love so much is that yuri's story of how he falls and like he's going through this horrible crisis he has this big crisis of faith and it just sort of leads up to him, like, having this, mm, I don't know if realization is the right word, but having this, the way his crisis evolves in him, to him denouncing the gods instead of um, um, finding strength in his faith, uh, he has a lot of parallels to Archeon. Um, their stories end differently, and that Archeon kind of ends up as more as, I hate all the gods, including the Chaos Gods, so I'm just going to kill everybody. Whereas Yuri kind of, because he has to deal with Bellacourt directly, he seems to develop more of a, uh, I'm about to die, so gods, you know, give me power and I will work with you. Archeon didn't get to that particular point. But, um, I, I, so I imagine it wasn't intentional, but there's a lot of really cool parallels between Yuri and Archeon. Mm. I, I, I think that's a thing you'll, you'll find a lot in Warhammer. Uh, it's almost like a, there's a universal theme of of, of the good, uh, you know, degrading, uh, essentially, and and that um, I forgot the word, but that oh, I I can use this thing for for good. I will take this power, whether that's in the form of a corrupted sword, or you know, even a rank, and um. I will take this power and I will use it for good um, uh, and then being corrupted by it. I mean, it's a very universal fantasy theme, isn't it? It's, um, a, it's a universal oh, true theme in our world. That's just humans. <laughs> These themes, uh, you know, are universal because they're truths in the in, in the actual real world. Um, better call it. Um, but yes, you, you'll see that theme used Again and again, Gav Fort wrote a brilliant trilogy of books uh, about about that. Um, Archeon, um, obviously, 
is, is the classic case. Right. It's but, very good. Oh, it's it's a doozy. <laughs> it's it's not it's not a fun story. Oh, it's a fun story, but it's not a happy story. Um, no, no. And in in forty k, you, you see that theme played again and again. You know, in Inquisitors using thinking they can use chaos against uh, against the chaos the dark powers and then being lured and seduced by it. I always um, find that funny. Yeah, yeah, it happens well, a lot. I, they just they get they get too full of themselves, think they're untouchable, you know. They do, they do. Um, you know, but even chapter masters in in space marines, you know, they they fall and fail to it, uh, mm-hmm. and not just in the great heresy. Uh, even you know, you'll occasionally lose a modern chapter to that uh, or a chapter master. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, it just makes some of the best stories. I mean, I think yeah. I think a lot of people in Warhammer just love characters like you know we got like Archeon. There are people like. Um, there are really like somber versions where you got like Festus the Leech Lord, this character who was like a brilliant doctor and in his he was too empathetic to his patients. So he made a deal that, oh, I'll, you know, t- give me the knowledge of how to cure all diseases. Nurgle was like, okay, <laughs> just totally broke his mind. And, um, you know, we've got like to call the denied for uh, the elves was an elf who, you know, she fell super hard for Silnesh and all these other shenanigans. Um, yeah. So it's just a really popular and I think often wonderful theme in Warhammer because those a lot of people can relate to those characters in really interesting ways. Yeah, and I think they can be written quite in a hackneyed way. Um, I, but I, I think it's the way, even if you know what the destination, um, it's, if the journey's written well, um, then it's still a pleasure to go on that journey um a good example you just said with festus you know it it, it the way he gets corrupted is, is very interesting he, he comes from a place of benevolence um uh, you know he just wants to help his patients um and yuri as well he you know he it he wasn't going up north because he uh, oh, yeah. of any kind he was he was team savers and all the way until the last second he was he was well the last second, I'm not well, so sure. The last, the last few minutes, I'll say the last. Like, de- like he was definitely like. Though I would say it would have been hilarious to see him shoot Bellacor with the pistol instead of Urson in the kind of like brief moment when they first talked. But granted, it probably would have just gone right through him. But like, I kind of almost wish there was a. I almost, almost wish y'all had like a what, what are those called? A blooper reel where he just shoots Bellacor instead. Um, but. Um, yeah, I, I've the storytelling in the game really has been so marvelous. Um, like the yeah. and like the intros are all great. Like I, I was shocked how believable all of the alliances are between the advisor and all of the characters and stuff. Uh, I mean, even compared to the prior two games, this game just steps it up such a notch. It's kind of wild. I, again, it's something we set out to do. Uh, again, a kind of story group of myself. David, Lee, and, and Lawrence, um, and we wanted to take that uh, Warhammer 2, um, where, you know, we escalated from Warhammer 1 um, and and escalate again. And, and yeah, I, I think we, hopefully we knocked it out of the park. We'll see. We'll see on Monday when all the reviews come in. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah the, faded, uh, the, the faded week is soon upon us. <laughs> But um, it, yeah, it's 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 been brilliant to watch um, kind of all these story threads tying together. 
and uh, like uh, probably one of the most exciting things for me um, personally, because I was of course like I I was praying beyond praying that Boris was going to somehow make it into the game, uh, and that was like there was such a theme in my community where we literally co-opted the uh, the forty k salamander chant of um, whatever the, uh, Vulcan lives, but we we had Boris lives um, for for uh, well, over a year. Um, and, uh, the way y'all handled Boris's resurrection, I thought was so great. We're like, you kept the story. Boris still dies. He just, he you know, he's Boris. So what is death to Boris? <laughs> he was always going to be in the gang. Though. <laughs> like, um, we did need him dead. Um, so that Zarina wasn't just the princess. She, she was the ice queen. Um, because that's her most iconic role. Um, and... So, and the law was already there. Boris is dead. Um, so, like you say, so, so again, it was kind of working with Games Workshop and okay. going, resurrect Boris. Uh, and, you know, it says a testament to the relationship there that, that they allowed us to go through with it. And, and um, yeah, and, and also working that into kind of its own kind of offshoot story as well. You know, you don't just... As I'm sure you guys know, you don't just unlock him. You've got to fight a, a battle. Oh, yeah, you got to uh, earn him. you got to earn him. You've got to free him from that ice. Um, so, speaking of characters, uh, a question that's often fun to ask uh, people at CA, and uh, I earned that group for me, is um, I've had some conversations with various people about, like, if they could have any character in the game um, uh, who isn't already, who their pick would be like i know ca rich who i believe is the head of the development team or the dlc team uh, uh he's well known for being a very big prince apophis uh fan um do you, do you have kind of like a uh a, a, <laughs> do you kind of have a character that's that pie in the sky for you so, uh, come again I need to get in the game yeah he's missing oh uh, your mic oh, cut man. out what was it oh sorry i, I was shouting because i was so excited um Kurt Helberg. There you go. He's That's a, a good nice answer. Character. That's a good the Reichsmarshal. That's a good answer. <laughs> he had one of the best looking miniatures from um from the Empire Army book, to be honest. It's a Dave Thomas classic, uh Kurt Helberg. Classic, yeah. great cash. I actually um uh back at the Games Workshop studio we did we used to do these arenas of death tournaments where it'd just be like um you take uh, a special character and you just fight with like four or five of you on and, mm. and you go. I actually got to the the finals with Kurt Helberg mm. um, of his laurels of victory because uh, he doubled his combat resolution. Yeah. <laughs> that item is so great. <laughs> Not to mention, like, just the, I always found the lore behind that item hilarious in that it's literally shadow magic to make him appear like he's like 20 feet tall to the people he's fighting. <laughs> Like, cool. oh, you've got three wounds. Okay, now I've got six. <laughs> <laughs> I double that. Oh, oh. <laughs> so you're rolling minus four now. Oh, sorry, we are starting to talk like proper Warhammer players now. He rolled a one, and I rolled hey, a two. Hey, that's 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 what it's about here. We we do we do hobby stuff on here too. Yeah, yeah. No, no, the Empire book was really good for Ave. Like, really good. <laughs> yeah. So I I I, I want. Want to get Kurt in the game because he kind of he kind of missed that Empire pass. 
Yeah. Um, you know, he's fully painted. He leads my Empire Army. Up there. Mm. Around there. Um, so, um, yeah, I'd like to get him in the game. And mm. I certainly gave him a uh, Gracier as well, I'm sure. Oh, I'm, uh, I think nobody's going to stop asking for that. Yeah, who could that possibly be? Hmm. Could that possibly be? But I'm not going to say it because. He, he's got to be talking about Critalis. He's, he's talking yeah. about Critalis. <laughs> it, it's, yeah. uh, I think they've been requesting him since Warhammer 1 got announced, you know? <laughs> hey, he's, he's just, I'm, I'm, he's just waiting for his moment. We all know he is. Yeah. Well, I'll say what I used to say then to, to, to the people. We're going to get everything in. It's all going to get in. Give us time. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna quote you on that. Whenever someone asks yeah. about anything, I'm gonna say Andy Hall said it be in. He said everything. It'll be there eventually. <laughs> Just gotta wait. That's, that's the key word. Eventually, not next yeah. week, next month. Eventually. <laughs> from a like from a personal standard, like I've seen so much of Warhammer Fantasy turned into Total War. You know, which is a uh, uh, it is. I don't think anyone like from a fan perspective see that and go. Oh wow! You know this is actually happening. It's like it's uh, you guys have translated a lot, like a lot of stuff into the series. Well, it's, it's been in such a creative way too, because like a lot of people go, "Oh, what's it based on?" And it's like it's kind of hard to answer because it's not it's not purely eighth edition. There's a lot of seventh edition, sixth edition, Eighth-10, even earlier yeah. editions. Y'all got uh, a lot of Storm of Chaos stuff that showed up when we got like the Eshin DLC. Uh, where like that clan Eshin roster was brought to life. Morathy is in her cult of pleasure form, kind of from the Storm of Chaos, as opposed to her more uh, uh, her 8th edition form where she was a little less chaosy. You know, we went with the more chaosy version, which I think was a great decision. And yeah. I can't I can't wait to see how she'll kind of evolve when she's brought into game three. Please. Um, <laughs> I mean, I've down, always down said boy. that 8th <laughs> edition is the baseline. You know, yeah. that's where it starts. That's our foundation. Yeah. Um, but then we will go to earlier versions as and when it's appropriate and we want to. I didn't want to lock us into eight position. Yeah, well, yeah. Y'all, I mean, y'all have even cracked open. Y'all have done Tarmacon stuff because we got the Plague Toads. Yeah. Um, we've gotten a lot of Storm of Magic Beasties. Y'all have done the Monstrous Arcanum when we got Morngulls and all this other stuff. Like, I mean, y'all have really been cracking open just about mm. every single book. The Plague Toad stuff was probably the most surprising for me. When, when we first uh, got the list, I was like, oh, wow, you know? Oh, yeah, like, dude, Plague Toad. I was like, mm, that's, that's good stuff right there. <laughs> Plague yeah. Toads. Yeah, those, those roster early discussions about what goes into the demon, well, the, the, yeah, the demon rosters were very interesting and, uh, and that. And um, uh, yeah, they, they took a lot of iteration. I would like to ask a question. And uh, you can just say pass if you want, and it's totally fine. Like, just say pass, and we'll move on. Just pretend it never happened. But I'm curious, because this is kind of a raging debate. Um, do you consider the the demon factions, or, or the chaos factions in this game, do you consider them to be demon factions, or do you consider them to be mono-god factions? They're demon factions with a seasoning uh, of of mortals as and when required, but uh, okay, all right. They are demon factions. 
All right, take take that and scatter to your holes, chat. <laughs> yeah, because we know that, you're going to. Yeah, I, I can hear though. It's like someone turned on the light in the kitchen. You just see things scuttling away. Yeah, I mean, we we had those discussions about <clears throat> do we give every every faction, uh, every demon faction, chaos warriors, and mm. and we quickly came to the realization that that would create a, a homogenization of those factions. Mm. Uh, very quickly where i think what's happening at the moment when people are playing them they're really enjoying they're really in, enjoying the differences of those chaos factions but if we mm. gave everyone chaos warriors from the offset uh then you would have all different slightly different colored chaos warrior factions mm. so that was a conscious design design decision well, i i think that was the right decision <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's the right like... way to go Speaking from like, because uh, obviously I, I played a lot of Chaos during eighth, so that that was really smart from like my point of view. Because like for example, Sunesh needed something to to be frontline, and there was nothing frontline from the eighth edition army book, you know. So the Marauders worked out really nicely. Which mm. yeah, we technically already have Marauders, but these are with a Suneshi look. But to me, that's a Suneshi Marauder, you know. Yeah. Yeah, well, and, and I think it's so nice that for, especially those of us that were players in 8th edition fantasy, we still get that fantasy feel of that the demons are kind of their own thing. Mm. You know, it's not quite like, um, like, I love Age of Sigmar, but Age of Sigmar very much kind of fuses the mortals and the demons together, and it's more that you're Nurgle. You're not really demons, you're just, you're Nurgle. Fantasy wasn't really like that. Um, <clears throat> at least not in 8th edition. Obviously, if you go yeah. far enough back, it was. But, yeah. um... Um, so, uh, a question, a kind of a follow-up question I had for you from our last podcast, and I, I doubt you'll be able to say anything, but just thought we'd ask just for fun. Um, we know that, uh, so every once in a while you treat us to some lovely writing, uh, and like little short stories or novellas that have to do with what's going on in the game to add more lore and stuff. Um, by chance, are you working on anything for Warhammer 3? And if you are, can you give us any little, any little, like hints or what we would if we were to pick up one of those scripts or books what would be on the back written the summary <laughs> uh pass all right <laughs> he used it he's pleading the fifth <laughs> um so ah, man i don't know if i have nathan you got anything yeah, well, I, I want to be. I want to ask regarding the five chaos factions because obviously, well, assumedly you've been playing, right? <laughs> yes, Which? Played, uh, two <laughs> yeah. Well, he's just yeah. what? It's a video game. I, I <laughs> no, no. Because <laughs> obviously, it's just one of those things. <laughs> how? How? Uh, if you can give a favorite, there's you know five factions for chaos. We've got undivided. We've got Zinch and so on. Which one has has been your favorite of the Chaos factions, and why is it Sinesh? <laughs> well, hold, hold on. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Sorry. <laughs> well, interestingly, it is Slanesh. Um, Good man! <laughs> because Nakari is another kind of, you know, another one of those little proud moments of, of getting Nakari in there and, and, you know, getting her, him, in that form as well. Uh, yeah. Again, that was negotiations, pleasant negotiations with Games Workshop yeah. um, to get kind of a modern looking Nakari. So I was very kind of enamored. I, very... I 
Like, getting to see Kugoth and Nakari get actual forms Mm. is so amazing. Uh, Like, I want them both as a tabletop mini so bad. (laughs) Yeah. Like, there is nothing like them. Like, especially Nakari is so... That y'all did such a brilliant job of like it's obviously Nakari is very heavily based on his I think it's the sixth edition art when he's fighting a Narian um, from the yes. High Elf book, but yeah. his model was actually updated to also fit the newer things where he's kind of got the ripped tights and all that stuff, um, and it's just, it's it's so well done. It is yeah. so well done. The artists, uh, you know, they knocked it out of the park. Kind of led by Badge. Um, they they really did some great stuff there and and yeah the the reference I gave for Nakari was that picture and I was like make him look like a modern uh, modern keeper of secrets yeah and, and they absolutely knocked it out of the park um I, but I've I've certainly got a, so I think Slanesh and I like the the speed of it as well he's a great um army if you want to take um. Like someone that's probably not really good at battles, um, mm. you know, using the multiplayer function, bring them in into the game, mm. and you just have them a couple of you know hell flayers and, and go go nuts, <laughs> mm. and, and they're so easy to micro uh, in, in that respect. So, mm. so Slanesh is great for that. Yeah. Um, I mean, Corn is is good as well, um, and and. Corn came about because he wasn't working for quite a while. It, it, you know, it, it took a it took a lot of kind of iteration and design. Uh, you know, with Jim and Ian, uh, a kind of lead battle designer, and, and Ian, the, the game director, uh, and to, to get that to click. Um, and then we we kind of hit that note of oh, you know, he, he summons the blood host. He creates skulls, and Corn likes that. And so it, it, I, I think I, I phrased it as. And maybe we, we get to that point and it's almost like Korn sending out his, his flesh hound armies to to kind of age you. And for a while those blood host armies were were purely flesh hounds. Oh my um, gosh. <laughs> and and that didn't quite again, that wasn't quite right. So so then they came to the blood host blood host armies. But I think when that clicked and, and we go, oh, and you know, Korn is actually really fun now. Mm-hmm. Um so, so that felt like really kind of pleasing to kind of nail corn because corn could be, as you probably you know, no subtlety as corn. It could be a very blunt weapon, mm. and blunt weapons can be a pain to use and a bit boring um, if you don't look out. So, so the fact that corn is, is as good as he is, uh, it feels really pleasing actually. And I, I think um, you know all the all the the cast factions have turned out really well and. Yeah. You know, to like Mark Sinclair, who really would present, really championed the changing of uh, the changing of the way system as well, mm. which as you can probably see, is such a multifaceted system with all these things you can do, but you, you feel, you know, you can feel very Zenchian using that. Um, so yeah, it feels like we nailed that, and and you know, with Nurgle with the cyclical buildings, and um, and again. Uh, Nurgle was something I had in my mind. I was like, I want, I want to be able to, to create my diseases, and it should be a picture of a big cauldron, and and you know that was, that was kind of day one, and and that that um, design kind of survived three years of iteration, to, and and 
Um, George, a, a, a designer for campaign, he absolutely nailed that. And mm. George worked on the multiplayer as well. So you've got him and uh, John uh, Burkle to virtual to, to thank for, for multiplayer as well. Again, oh, yeah. besides reading the names and it sounds like an award speech, I'm sorry. But... <laughs> no, you're all good, you're all good. Uh, yeah, it's, it, I, I love all these mechanics and it's 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 so funny watching them and seeing really cool parallels too of like um the corn centric fact like you know we had obviously we had Tarix the brass bull brought to life um in towards the end of warhammer 2 and what's great is that his mechanic is very similar to scarbrands in that they're both they're both cornate so you would expect that now they have different methods on how they do it um and it has a very different feel where Tarix is more of an unstoppable juggernaut and scarbrands more of an unleashing just a tide of slaughter um but and it's it a very subtle difference but it feels right and you know kudos to our designers for absolutely kind of hammering that and nailing it yeah and yeah and like i i'll admit like i'm 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 one of those super annoying people i'm sure for the designers where i'm sitting there looking at like that that nurgle mechanic and going oh i'd love that in my clan pestilence campaign <laughs> like seeing that all that slanesh yeah. stuff and being like oh i'd love that in my morthy campaign <laughs> like where's i need some more parallels <laughs> um, well, it, it's like with the god slayer you know I, I knew as soon as we unleashed that I, uh, I want that i want that in our campaign. <laughs> oh yeah like, it's like uh yeah can i get a fully customizable <laughs> character in every race <laughs> everyone's been asking for that now yeah Yes, we'd love it too, but the amount, again, the amount of work to to get to that place with, with, with the Demon Prince. Um, oh yeah, like, I, I don't expect that mechanic to leave him, because, like, yeah. good lord, that's so much work. It's, it's great, so though. It's great. Yeah. I I, listen, I, I love my Barbie doll uh, Demon Prince. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> Pulling off arms, putting on new ones. It's uh, it's it's very different, and I must say, because I, I used the perfect example when I streamed them a few days ago. Because uh, obviously, like we're all used as tabletop guys, that is that is us playing tabletop, but in total war, because it's kit bashing, right? So I've done yeah. that too. You know, I've got a demon prince, which is probably not going to show up, but he's got some rot fly wings and so on. And yeah, he's not showing up. Well, <laughs> he's like he's like vaguely green, so your computer's yeah. like he's he's the green screen, right? <laughs> that's the green screen. But it's the thing is like that's why I was telling people it's like this should like in my personal opinion this should be unique anyway because it's something that we used to spend hours with green stuff and so on. You know, like I can only imagine the amount of work that turning that into a computer thing like has to take because what did you guys say it was like. Two billion different types of combinations and so on. Well, uh, the maths is, and it sounds it sounds such a stupid number. I don't even like saying it because it just sounds like it's a lie. Uh, Five hundred billion combinations. Good God! Wow, it's, man, it's one of those things where like it's like how you learn that you really don't need that digit many digits to make a unique number that no one could ever guess because like. It, it doesn't take that, and there's so many options for the demon press that you can customize. Calculation, you know, because you, you think, oh, like, you know, those all those bits that can't be 500, but you know, but if you if you do, but if you do one part with that part, that part, part that's one. But now I've got to change that part, so that's two, and then you've got to do it. You do it all along with just that one part, and yeah, it extrapolates out and out and out and out. And, mm. But yeah, even even now, I 
I don't like saying that number because it sounds so comically bad. Space. It's not. That <laughs> yeah. Is that? Uh, it's just it's just how um, numbers work. They're dumb, but it's how it works. Uh, 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 exactly. But I mean, again, he was an interesting concept because, and um, I've said this in a few interviews. Um, but uh, you know, we uh, one of our, we have these pillars of to- uh, total war, and one of them is authenticity, and it's kind of one of the reasons I came on board in the first place. And and one of the keys is we you know we try and make something as, as much like the the model or the reference it's based on as possible Carl Franz has to look as close to Games Workshop's interpretation of Carl Franz as, as possible um but the demon prince we knew and through you know the, the descriptions of the army books that there there is you know there is uncountable variances of, of the demon prince um and so we knew that was an in and that, that's kind of what got us firing on that on that it's like well how do we how do we represent that because obviously games workshop has one kit um and so all demon princes kind of look like that and again games Workshop are really very generous with us with that and then because when we kind of said we want to do kind of a this customizable demon prince and i guess our first thought was that they'd go well, no, just make it look like the model, like you've done with every everything out. Like your Hellpit Abomination has to look like the Hellpit Abomination. Um, and there are, as long as the first time you go, the player sees it, it does look like the plastic Demon Prince, Demon Prince kit. After that, you know, go go nuts. Yeah, which is, I mean, that's the Demon Prince experience, is that if you're new to the hobby, maybe you would buy that kit and just build it as is, but as you get more experience, you'd be like, okay, I'm going to kit bash this, or I'm going to use green stuff and, like, mold on all these weird things. Like it's, it's very like, difficult to allow you to do that, um, yeah. which is great, you know, because those wings, you could, you know, sub them out for dragon wings, or like like you, you just showed, Nathan, or tried to show. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um but yeah yeah and and so we kind of went into that and you know it was in a very very expensive um asset for the game yeah and worth it you know absolutely is is it worth it and we were like no no it is it is worth it it's going to be cool and well with i guess with the game's not released yet so the, the the proof is is still not quite there yet, but I, I'm I'm hoping, and I think from the reception thing that people will like it. Mm. And, and again, it, I think it's something that ho- hopefully will bring in these these kind of new players that you know we want we we want to see because um, you know makes a stronger game, stronger brand. Yeah. Um, and and that's kind of why we tied the story to the Demon Prince. Um, so you know, new players will get that through line. Hopefully, you know, they'll boot up the game. They'll get asked if they're new to Total War, and if they say yes, they'll they'll play through Yuri's journey, and then you know when you finish that that um, that prologue, hopefully you you'll feel empowered, and hopefully then the not the next logical step is well, what's your next campaign? They'll go well, I'm going to get revenge, yeah, <laughs> like look Yuri once, and and then play the Demon Prince, and then. Then you discover that the Demon Prince is a is a cool kind of customizational Lego Demon Prince, and you get to do stuff. And hopefully, we, we can take those guys on that journey, and that they'll enjoy Total War. And there's, you know, more Total War players in the world is just better for the world in general. Yes, yeah. 
Yes, it is. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, like, uh, the story is presenting itself to be quite, uh, quite good. It's, uh, I'd say this is the most narrative style Total War we've seen so far, maybe? Uh, it's certainly up there. Yeah. I, I, I think that's safe to say, but we were very conscious and this was led by, by a game, a game director, you know, but yeah. it, the story couldn't get in the way of the gameplay. You, you still had to have the sandbox total war experience of building your empire in the way that you want. Yeah. And so we, when we were designing the story and the story had to work no matter whether you were Scarbrand or whether you were Kislev. Um, so again, that's why Bellacor kind of shouted out as, as, as the perfect kind of uh, villain of the piece. I know there's a few players out there who go, well, why didn't you just make Bellacor a legendary lord? Well, yeah. he needed to be the villain um, because we needed something for everyone to fight against. Yeah. Um, to make the campaign work and the the narrative yeah um makes the campaign mechanics work so so again if you reverse engineer it you go back to like right we're going to do the chaos realms so we want mm. players to go into the chaos realms and do these cool things in the chaos realms yeah so how, how do we do that so how do we justify you know people, yeah. how do we justify scarbrand and at the same time, a cafe and dragon going to the cast realms, and that's still being their singular objective. Right. Well, we need a villain that everyone can rail against. So, yeah. who in Warhammer is a villain that everyone can rail against? Bellacor. <laughs> yeah. Would it be also be who does everyone hate the most? <laughs> yeah. Well, and it, it, it works out well, especially with the game kind of taking place before Warhammer One, because it's like, what was Bellacor up to? Before he had yeah. to go crown Archeon, which man, what a what a rough day for him. Getting he gets the crap kicked out of him on the verge of godhood, and he's got to go crown Archeon. <laughs> yeah, I, I did kid. like the the cow skulls would revel in that. Oh yeah, they'd be like, "That's great, let's do this money." Yeah, yeah. So um, what he's up to all along the way, but he he'll be like, "Yeah, come on, you can try it." <laughs> yeah. I had one last question, and then I forgot. Uh, Nathan, we're we're pretty much coming up on our time. Do you have any any last last question for uh, Mister? Uh, yeah. So how uh, how did it come with the whole going to the chaos realms and so on? Because like from uh from a law perspective, going there is really dangerous, right? And it is quite dangerous. Like going through Nurgle's thing or. I'll be very, very honest with you. I've never wanted to like because I don't like puzzles and the scene she one. I wanted to punch right through my screen. <laughs> like I, I'm not a puzzle the, guy. The, I'm no, very cornered. The zinch one is very zinchy. It's very yeah, zinchy. It, it, it's it's done lost. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I, I, I'm cornered at heart, right? <laughs> um. Well. We wanted to take players to places they've never been before. And, yeah. you know, there's only so many iterations of the Warhammer World map you can do. Mm. Uh, and the Realm of Chaos was that was that place. And, it, again, it, we could have just, you know, copy and pasted and, and, and brought a game out two, two years ago. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, that that's not pushing the quality bar that we wanted to do. Yeah. Um, we wanted to to create a, a a game that 
you know, impresses everyone. And and taking players into the realm of chaos um, was kind of untrodden ground. Um, and and so we wanted to take players there. Um, but then we knew if we did, they, we couldn't just play total war in those zones. There, there had to be... It had to feel different. It had to feel like the law for a start. And also, you know, there are tales of of of, the, of mortals going into the Chaos Realms mm-hmm. and actually coming out. So it's not unprecedented. It's absolutely rare. And those people, when they come out, they are forever changed. And again, yeah. you bring that in with those Chaos traits that really screw you over if you let let them fester on you. I forgot it once, uh, and I just let it go constantly. <laughs> they, they, they can be brutal. They can be yeah. very brutal. Um, absolutely. And that was, again, managing that was, was always part of what we wanted to do. We wanted people to... We didn't want them to go in and, and it feel like, you know, they're just having a Sunday walk in 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 the in the hills. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it had I, to feel you've been touched by chaos by going in there. Yeah, I know. Uh, uh, for me, it's a like a genuine dream come true of like invading the realm of chaos and taking the fight to the gods themselves is something I always wanted to see happen. Yeah, that was kind of one of those potential possibilities in fantasy that I always loved so much as a possible scenario is like a force of order or even destruction, like managing to fight its way and actually punch the gods in the face. Um, I really, really hope that we get to see the realms of chaos in uh, uh when we eventually get the combined map because man i want to take the lizardman in there so bad and just start wrecking stuff <laughs> i mean if you're doing a chaos focused game you have to have the you know you got you gotta have the realm of chaos you can't just have the demons survive in the vacuum and of, of the mortal right. it'd be boring world. very boring yeah. and that, that's them they are literally a fish out of water um but again, going back to the narrative reasons, we also had to have a reason why, because in theory, a demon going into the Chaos Realm should be like, you know, opening the front door. It should be that easy for them. Mm. So, so we had to create narrative reasons. So the narrative had a lot of hef- heavy lifting to do in this campaign. It had to justify, it had to justify why why is Kislev, who's been the bulwark against Chaos for the last 2,000 years, why are they suddenly wanting to go into the chaos realm why would you want to you know in our context why would you willingly want to go into hell um and i the mean answer... this realm of sounds fun right on a very surface level very yeah, surface I would, level I surface level yeah, yeah that, that's definitely yeah. one of those places where you go and when you arrive you go I didn't think this through. <laughs> oh no, I did. I thought it through. I thought it through. <laughs> but you know, if you're if you're in a world where gods are not something that may or may not exist, but indisputably exist, and you learn that your god, the one that holds your your soul, your faith together, is not only uh, in the chaos realm, but is is in very real danger of dying. Then maybe, just maybe, that will justify and motivate you to not just be the defender uh, of the old world, but to step willingly into the cast realm and 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 go into this mad place to try and rescue them. And at yeah. the same time, it's also for all the demons. You know, 
the, the fact that the, the bear god roared and, and created this kind of barrier helps us justify why the demon guys can't just zip in and out the Chaos Realms at will. Yeah, harbour in a storm. You can't just go into the harbour when the when when the waters are roiling. Yep. So, so the narrative did a lot of stuff to to kind of help us with the campaign mechanics. So that's if you reverse engineer it back and why things are the way it is. Why Bellacor is the villain? Why is why are there the chaos rifts? Why why is there why why is there a dying god? So yeah. There you go, a bit of behind the scenes about why things are the, like they are. Well, thank you so very much. That's pretty much our time. Um, so uh, we know you've got to get off to do some stuff. Uh, but before we go, um, is there anything uh, people should be out on the lookout for? And if so, like where should they be kind of looking for more Andy Hall goodness or updates coming in the future? Okay, well, keep an eye. If you've signed up to Total War, keep an eye on early in the week there may be a little surprise dropping um I like surprises. you know get ready because we'll have a freeze out i know um, it's finally here third. yeah uh, and i hope everyone plays it and enjoys it and you know also I, i've done a lot of these now but it's not just me there are hundreds of people at creative assembly who, who are passionate about this game and uh, yeah Awesome. Uh, uh, and thank you again so much for joining us. And thanks to uh, Total War for uh, sponsoring this podcast. Uh, that was very generous of them. And we were happy to be here on their official channel doing all this stuff. Uh, if you missed any of the podcasts, it will be available on me and Nathan's channel shortly. Um, uh, Nathan, anything you want people to know about coming up for you um, for later today or later this week, real quick, before we go? No, just the usual. Uh, Total War will have free content on the channel pretty much every day until release. Uh... And soon I can sleep. <laughs> yeah, really? I know. Game comes out for everyone. For us, it's like, ah, oh, finally I could rest. <laughs> uh, yeah, holiday holiday on the horizon, I think. Yeah, every, every every content creator and every person working at CA needs to take like a month sabbatical. Um, uh, all right. And yeah, uh, I will also be streaming uh, Total War Warhammer 3 later today after I get lunch and everything. So thanks everyone so much for watching. We appreciate you all joining us, and I'm sure there's more Total War stuff coming up. Uh, I believe the big tournament is tomorrow uh, with all the content creators, um, and uh, Creative Assembly has a little info thing they made that has a schedule to everything going on. So that's it for us. We'll see you next time. Thanks for watching, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.